0: If you have your Bibles, you might turn with me to Genesis chapter 13 or look on in our worship bulletin as we turn our attention to the Word of God. We're in the midst of a series entitled New Beginnings, a study of the book of Genesis, and we are right now in the middle of the life of Abraham, considering the Lord's call upon his life as he both walks by faith and sometimes by doubt, and through the Lord's grace carries him to where it is that he needs to be, just as he does for each of us. We see God's faithfulness this this morning as, as Abram learns what it means once again to live by faith and not by sight. As he and Lot, in the passage before us, separate after years of walking together and of much time as kindred, the Lord, through his providence and his sovereign hand, leads them to separate from one another, And as they separate, they don't just go different paths. One is a path of faith in the way of the Lord. And one is a path of selfishness that leads to a way of destruction. I think you see that over the course of Genesis chapter 13. And it leads us to put our trust even more deeply in the God who makes promises from his word. Let's look again, Genesis chapter 13, and give our attention to this reading. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made the altar at the first, And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. It is not the whole land before you. Separate yourself from me. And if you take to the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. It was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord." The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place from where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring shall also be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of, of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, as we Recite those words, that your word stands forever. We want to believe that at a deeper level even now. And we want to follow, as it were, the example that we see from Abram in this passage. A man who trusted your promise even in the midst of a time where he wouldn't see it fulfilled. And he believed your word apart from what his eyes might see. Lord, make us those people as we seek to follow you in the instruction of your word and help us not to be so tantalized by the things of this world that we wind up giving our soul away to this place rather than to you. Lord, you know the hearts in this room and you know what we need. So we put ourselves in your hand and we ask you to move in our midst. And as you have done so faithfully to Abram to do for us, Carry us to where it is you want us to be and shape us after your likeness. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, If you were with us last week, there may be something of an echo that you hear in the passage that's before us. The other circumstances are different, quite different. But the trouble that Abram faces here in Genesis 13 is essentially the same trouble he dealt with last week in Genesis chapter 12. And that is an issue of provision. If you'll recall last week from Genesis chapter 12, there wasn't enough food in the promised land because there was a famine, a severe famine, we're told, in the land, and so Abram and Lot and his family left the promised land and they went down to Egypt to find some grub. And they ran into all kinds of problems because they couldn't find what it is they wanted, needed, right there in the promised land. Well, notice this week, again, there isn't enough provision in the promised land. Abram and Lot are there, but listen, it's not due this week to a famine, interestingly. It's due to an increase in riches, God, who at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12 had promised to Abram to be a blessing to him and that his blessings would be poured out on Abram, we see it already being fulfilled here in Genesis chapter 13 as he and Lot's belongings have grown significantly. For when he came out of Egypt, Pharaoh showered him with all kinds of gifts. Do you remember that from last week? you remember how, what a mirror last week was of the exodus? that will happen later in the Old Testament. Remember how the people of Israel are brought into Egypt and they fall out of favor with, with the Pharaoh of the time and then plagues come on the people of God. There was a Pharaoh who didn't remember that Joseph, right, was uh, that didn't remember Joseph anymore and, and the people had to be let go and as they let go they were, they were given all kinds of things. Well, the same thing happened to Abram. He went into Egypt to look for for goods. And, and it was there where he trusted more in a lie than in the Lord. And he put his wife in a compromising position. But the Lord brought them out. And when he brought them out, he brought them out with all kinds of goods. And we see Abram and Lot have gotten so much stuff now. They've come back to the place that they once were in. That sliver of land between Bethel and Ai. And it's not going to support them anymore. They're going to have to go on another journey to find provision. Provision. Similar to what they did last week, but this time they're not going to go together. It could be argued that God is actually completing what he commanded Abram to do at the beginning in Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 12 how he was told to leave his, his home, his family, and his kindred behind? Well, he did that all but lot. But at this point... Lot separates himself from Abram too and it's in some ways the provision and the blessing of God on the chosen seed of Abram and the plans that he has to fulfill his covenant promises. And what we see in the separation of Abram and Lot in this context of this passage and in the content of this passage is it's different looking at the land with the eyes of sight than it is looking at the land with the eyes of faith. Both men here, Lot and Abram, in the promised land, but they both look at the land with different eyes. And the difference of the eyes in which they look at the land makes all the difference in their lives. Hold on to that because we're going to come back to it. I want to look at this passage in just three ways with you today. I want to look first at the conflict that Abram faces the conflict that Abram faces. We see it there in verses 5 to 7. And then I want to look with you at the choice that Abram makes. And you see that in verses 8 through 10. And then I want you to see finally the eyes through which Abram looks. And you're going to see that in verses 11 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 18. So let's start with the conflict that Abram faces now, he's traveled all the way back to the promised land. He was in Egypt on a fool's errand. He had gone to the pagan place of Egypt in order to provide what God no doubt would have given to him. He learned this lesson there. He's made his way back to Bethel, between Bethel and Ai, and as soon as he arrives, a problem arises. And the problem is this: all these goods, specifically all the livestock, all of the the field animals we're not quite sure that if as soon as they got back to the land they looked at each other and said hey this is not going to work or whether over a period of attempts they realized there was a dawning realization this is not going to work and they begin to figure out we've got to go forward but what we see in the passage more or less is that the focus on this is the tension that's now arisen between these these two relatives Between Abram and Lot, we're told that there's strife that exists between Abram's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Their patience is run thin. Their conflict is is beginning to rise. You can almost hear it in the pages of of the scriptures. What may have been the interaction between these two. You can think of Abram's herdsmen going out into the limited pasture. Going down by the sea. Eating the lush grass and then coming back. And then Lot's herdsmen going out to that same pasture and getting down there and realizing there's not enough here. He's left us some, some weeds on the margins of the field. And frustrated, they begin to return to Abram's herdsmen and say, who do you think you are? You've left us absolutely nothing. And you can almost hear Abram's herdsmen respond, listen chumps. The only reason you have a blessing is you're with Abram. He's God's chosen man. If you keep on arguing with us and complaining in this way, we'll see to it that the gravy train gets cut off. This is the kind of tension that's going on, the kind of conflict that's rising in the midst of Abram's following of God by faith. Isn't it interesting that Following the Lord by faith doesn't necessarily mean that we'll have no conflict in our lives. At the opening of this passage, we saw him worshiping the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord, no doubt repenting of his errand ways from Egypt and renewing his commitment to the Lord. And as he's walking by faith, some of us, as we tend to think, oh, if we're with the Lord, everything's just going to go smooth. Not the case. The walking by faith in the Lord often leads us to the kind of conflicts, both in the context of this life and in our own heart, that the Lord uses to advance His kingdom to the next step. Now, we should know this very clearly from the gospel, shouldn't we? Our own Savior, who lived a perfect life and followed by faith the will of His heavenly Father to the nth degree with total perfection, His life was smooth, right? No conflict. It was filled with conflict because there's a holy war taking place, a spiritual war behind the things of the world, a prince of the power of the air, as well as the sovereign will and working of the Lord leading. And those two are constantly in clash with each other. And so, when you experience conflict in your life, it may not be a bad sign. It may be that God is up to a great work. That's what we actually see in the context of this passage. Now here's something else that's pretty surprising about this. Not only is it conflict out of faithfulness in the followership of God, but it's conflict that arises from prosperity, not poverty. Isn't that interesting? Last week it was poverty. It was the suffering and the famine that led to the troubles. This week it's having a whole bunch of stuff that leads to the problems that Abram and Lot face. You know, how many times have we thought to ourselves, if I just had a little bit more money, life would be great. If I could just get more stuff, more accoutrements, more comforts in my life, I know things would just begin to kind of to work out. If I could just win the lottery and Powerball fall in my way, then things would all go well with me. I just happened to remember just yesterday an article of Time Magazine from a few years ago titled, Winning the Lottery Makes You Miserable. It tells the story of Donna Minkin who won $34.5 million in the New York State Lottery in 2007 who later lost her marriage and ultimately became bankrupt. She said this, Most of us think that winning the lottery is the ultimate fulfillment, but I have found that wasn't the case. When we won the lottery, my inner dialogue went manic. I became more concerned about how I was being judged and perceived, not realizing that I was doing the same thing to everyone else around me. If you ask me, my life was hijacked by the lottery. She goes on to talk about how she lost friendships because all of her friendships became about somehow getting money from her. She couldn't trust anyone. And the more she tried to satiate in some ways the sufferings and the challenges of the burden of financial wealth... The more she spiraled out of control, at least it wasn't quite as bad as Jack Whitaker in that same article. He won $350 million in a lottery in West Virginia in 2002. He was 55 years old at the time. He was a company president of a construction company. And within four years, his daughter and his granddaughter, through a credible amount of resources that were made available to them, got hooked on drugs and ultimately destroyed their lives and died of overdoses. He had $545,000 stolen out of his car. Now, why you would have $545,000 in your car is another question. But he had $545,000 stolen out of his car while he was inside the strip club. He would say later, you know, my wife said that she wished we'd just torn the ticket up. I wish we had torn the ticket up too. I don't like Jack Whitaker, Jack Whitaker says. I don't like the hard heart that I've got. I don't like what it is that I've become. We sometimes don't know what it is we're asking for when we're asking for riches. And to be quite honest, friends, sometimes the Lord is so faithful to your spiritual growth, He doesn't give you riches in this life because it would destroy you. It takes an incredible amount of spiritual maturity to handle wealth. Now listen to the way I said that. It takes an incredible amount of spiritual maturity to handle wealth. This is why throughout the New Testament and primarily and and most strongly in Jesus' own teaching that rich people find it really hard to get into the kingdom of God. He says wild things like... You know, a camel has to go through an eye of a needle for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples go, well, that's not even possible. And he says, you're right, it's not possible. Praise God, all things are possible with God. But he puts before us a very different kind of picture of this concept of wealth. Wealth that we consider as a blessing becomes in this context a challenge leading to conflict. And for some of our lives, that blessing of wealth has turned, us, has turned into a curse. And we find ourselves similar to Whitaker, though not a lottery ticket. We should have just torn it all up. And friends, if you can begin to see it, maybe you even spot it in your own heart this morning. Are you more dependent upon the Lord when you have a bank full of money? Or are you less dependent upon the Lord when you have a bank full of money? Do you find yourself more secure because you have more money? Or do you find yourself less secure? Your security is not found in finances. Or in wealth, your security is found in the sovereign God, the maker of heaven and earth, the savior of your soul. Now Abram and Lot in some ways are learning the challenge and the test of prosperity here. And we see the conflict that Abram has to face. The question really hanging in the text at this point is how is Abram going to navigate the waters with his younger nephew Lot? How are they going to get through the strife between the herdsmen? Well, that leads us to point two, the choice that Abram makes. The choice that Abram makes. You see this in verses 8 through 13 in the text. Now, I want to put put you for just a moment in Abram's shoes, okay? Sit in Abram's shoes for just a second. As the patriarch of the family, it's well within Abram's right to simply tell Lot to get lost, To get off the property and go fend for yourself somewhere else. It was a gracious thing that Lot was even with Abram. No one would have even batted an eye at this point in human history if Abram had made that choice. Because it was the custom of the day for the patriarch to just blaze the trail and everybody else have to follow suit. But that's not what Abram did. Well, at least we would expect then, if he didn't do that, at least he's going to take some time to put little old young Lot nephew in his place this ungrateful this 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 moocher of a nephew who's been walking along with him this whole time where would he be if it weren't for Abram everything that he's enjoying is coming from Abram at the very least you would expect Abram to do is to have a few choice words so that Lot can remember his place in life Abram doesn't do that In fact, Abram does something more astonishing in this passage than those two things. Those two things come out of the place of our flesh, don't they? Where we want to put people in their place and we want to show people the door who don't reveal a kind of gratefulness that we think that they ought to and don't realize the privileged position that we've given them by being connected to us. That doesn't usually sit well with us. That comes out of the flesh. But I want you to see two things that Abram does here. In the choices that he makes. The first thing he does. And he approaches Lot. Is he pledges to him peace. He pledges to him peace. Look at the language of Genesis 13.8. Let there be no strife between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Let there be no strife between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Because we our kinsmen. Now, so often when we find ourselves in the midst of a conflict and the flesh is getting stirred up within us, and maybe we have a little bit of a chip on our shoulder and our tendency is here to begin to give them a piece of our mind, in a moment like this, we would want to set the record straight. We'd want to go over the details in our minds and craft our arguments, have a few well-timed punches to the ribs, verbally speaking. Because most of the time when we come into a conflict, what's more important to us? Winning. Winning. I want to come out on top in this conflict. I want things to go well with me. I want them to be put away. I want them to come to my side. But what we see for Abram is that peace is far more important than winning. It's far more important than all of the things that his flesh wants to drum up. He doesn't enter this encounter to plead his case. He doesn't defend his herdsmen. He doesn't state his rights, but he comes to him and he says, You're my brother. Let there be no strife between us. That language for kinsmen is the language for brother in the Hebrew. You're my brother. Now, I want you to think about it. There's a note there below that the Canaanites and the Perizzites are there in the land, probably indicating the fact that it's pretty crowded. And they're foreigners in this land. And so the only person that Abram can really call a distant relative that's not his immediate family is Lot. You you are the kinsman. (laughs) You you are what I've got. I mean, this is it. We've got a, a special relationship that the Lord has given to us. Let's pledge from the very beginning to commit ourselves to peace. And friends, I think... We see here in Abram a tremendous example of the kind of thing that we should be committed to every time we enter conflicts. How often do you enter a conflict, and you're there rearing up, but you're not pledging peace? How many times have you walked into a conflict, you said, no matter what, I'm seeking peace here. I'm seeking peace. My heart is peace. Can you imagine how, how joyous it must have been for life when Abram showed up and said, hey, let there be no strife. between." I, I, I hear. Listen, my ears have been... <laughs> Been bent all day long by my herdsmen, and I know yours by by, by your herdsmen. A lot of rumors flying. Let you and I pledge. We're kinsmen. Let there be no strife between us. There's an incredible amount of wisdom here. As we enter into family feuds. You ever had a family feud? Yeah? You ever been there at the reading of the will after someone rich dies in your family? Fun times. Fun times. People get after what it is that they want. Difficulties happen. We're talking about wealth here. We're talking about land. We're talking about the stuff that our hearts get wrapped around. Abram pledges peace. But I want you to see secondly what he does is he walks a pathway to peace. He walks a pathway to peace. He doesn't just just say something with his words. He doesn't just do the rhetoric. He shows it with his action. Look in verses 9 of chapter 13. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Remarkably, Abram doesn't kick Lot out of the land. But he actually gives away his right to choose. He gives away his right to choose. And he says to Lot, Lot, the land is before you. Choose whatever it is that you want. I'm following your lead. It's absolutely astonishing, especially when you consider where we were last week with regards to Abram's character. You remember Abram last week? You remember his faithless strategy for survival in Egypt? How he chose to lie instead of trusting the Lord and said to Sarai, when we get to Egypt, just say that you're my sister so that it might go well with me while we're there. Completely consumed with himself. And there he said, Sarai out there, unprotected, Her her purity potentially being defiled, compromised, all because of his self-centered plan. Boy, what a difference a day makes. When we come to Genesis chapter 13 and we see something has shifted in Abram's heart, this is a man who now full of love and trust in God is not having to fight to go first, but is instead laying down his own interest to take up the interest of the others. In fact, I want you to just, I want you to hear it the way that I I wrote it here in, in my notes The socially superior patriarch Abram did not grasp for his rights, but instead humbled himself by taking up the form of a servant before the socially inferior lot so that they might bring about peace. Does that sound familiar? Should. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What a remarkable picture of divine love we have here. A glimmer of the gospel shining through this moment of Abram's life. Well, we see the conflict that Abram faces and we see the choices that Abram makes. The question is... How does that happen? (laughs) How does that shift happen? How does this transformation happen? What happened in Abram's heart to get him here? Thirdly, we want to see the eyes through which Abram sees. We want to see the eyes through which Abram sees. You see this in verses 10 to 13 specifically. Now, I must admit, as I was reading through this section, in light of Abram's incredible graciousness, can you? I'm just, you know, I'm, have had you in Abram's shoes, not get in Lot's shoes for a minute. The astonishment that Abram would come to you and would say, Hey, you choose the land first. Lot knows that that's all in Abram's hands to be able to do. What an incredible overture of graciousness. I expect to read in verse 10 Oh, Abram, I couldn't do such a thing. You have been so kind to me. I owe everything to you. There's no way I could choose ahead of you. You go first. The fact that I'm even in this conversation is but grace of God. You expect to hear that from Lot at this point in time and we get nothing. Instead, in verse 10, we hear this. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the Jordan Valley, that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and journeyed east, and they separated from one another. Now, I just want to ask four questions real quick so that you can put Lot's whole process in view. He went through a process of making this choice. And the first thing I want to ask you is, how did Lot see? We're told he lifted up his eyes. How is it that Lot saw? Well, I can tell you very simply, he saw with human eyes. He saw with human eyes. Now, how do I know that? Because it tells us what he saw. I know how he was seeing by what it is he saw. What did he see? He just saw beautiful land. He just saw beautiful land. He saw this thing that looked like the Garden of God, like Egypt near the direction of Zoar. I mean, this is the most beautiful thing. Now, if you're reading that, I hope what's popping in the back of your mind is, wasn't the Garden of Eden the place where we first fell and made the wrong decision, assessing the beauty of a piece of fruit on our own? Isn't Egypt the place we just came from where it looked good on the outside, but it caused a lot of problems once we got there? But that would be seeing it Spiritually. You see, the problem with seeing it through human eyes is you only see what's on the surface. You don't actually see the meaning of what's happening. He saw a beautiful land and so what did he do? He chose it for himself. Where did he go? He went east towards the land of Sodom. Now, if you've been paying attention during our Genesis series, you know that when someone goes east, bad things happen. When Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, they went east of Eden. And you continue to see this movement east as a movement away from the presence of the Lord. Now you know, we're not there in the story, but when you heard the the word Sodom, you thought, "Uh uh-oh. You see, Lot was looking with human eyes and he only saw the beautiful land, which meant he didn't see the spiritual danger that he was walking into. You see, the text leads us there because it says, Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. And then a little parenthetical commentary. Now the men of Sodom were wicked. Great sinners against the Lord. Next chapter, you know what we see? We see Lot is not on the outside of Sodom. We see he's moved on the inside of Sodom. You know what we see by chapter 19? We see him sitting in the gates of Sodom, which means he's become an authority figure, a father of the city. He has some respect and authority. This is a man who long ago just looked at the outside beauty of the land and he moved his family and his whole life into precarious spiritual danger. Now in contrast, briefly, so look at verses 14 to 18. Notice Abram here. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him. Okay, Lot's gone. Lot's gone. Maybe, let's just, let's for a minute, I think with holy imagination... Abram, he's a man. He's not perfect yet. He sees lots chosen in the Jordan Valley. They embrace, sees him going off, and he goes, oh, I think I did what was right. I made peace, and I lost the most beautiful piece of property anywhere around here, right? I mean, something of that would be characteristic of your and my heart, right? Have you ever made a decision that cost you something and then later questioned it? Because the flesh started coming back, right, it starts rising back up again. You have to keep speaking to that, reminding it of the promises of God and His faithfulness. God, after He's separated from Lot, God comes to him and notice what God says: "Lift up your eyes." Same phrase. Lift up your eyes. From the place where you are, look northward and southward and eastward and westward. Look to where it is that Lot's going and in all other directions that Lot is not going. And know that I will give you this land forever. Now there's a note. You know he's saying to to Abram? Abram, I know it looks like Lot got a great deal. He's not going to be there long. This land has been promised to you. Remain steadfast, remain faithful. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if I can count, if you can count the dust of the earth, your offspring could be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. And so Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now let me ask you four questions. You're going to recognize these. How did Abram see? With divine eyes. It was God who told him, lift up your eyes. In the other text, we're told that that Lot lifted up his eyes. Not not Abram. Abram didn't lift up his eyes. God lifted up Abram's eyes. What did Abram see? Abram saw the promised land. You see, the promised land is not just a topographical map. The promised land is a spiritual reality. It's something that Abram is never going to acquire. And it's still always his by virtue of the promise of God. He's never going to see it in this life. But he's not really after dwelling in the promised land. He's after dwelling in the promise of the God who owns the land. He's dwelling in the promise of the God who owns the land. That's what it is that Abram sees. He doesn't just see Zoar and the garden of God, the beauty of the land. He sees the promise of God. And so what did Abram do? He listened to God. And where did Abram go? He went exactly where it is that God directed him. Listen, I want to give you a little bit of a pattern. For you note takers, this might be helpful. There's a pattern in this text. Lodge this way. How you see shapes what you see. Guides what you choose, leads where you go. Let me say it again. How you see, shapes what you see, guides what you choose, and leads where you go. Those are the four things we see bubbling out of both the pattern of Lot and the pattern of Abram in this text. And so it's real easy, the application of this text, isn't it? How are you seeing? How are you seeing? When you look at your life, and when you look at your land, and when you look at your house, and when you look at your car, and when you look at your spouse, and when you look at your job, and you look at your wardrobe, as you did this morning to pick out clothes to come to church, what did you see? Did you see, man, I'm out of fashion. I need some new clothes, and I'm not happy with what I'm wearing. Did you see the provision of Almighty God? What did you see? How did you see it? How you see it shapes what you see and it guides what you choose and the direction even that you go. All of a sudden, your heart radically changes. The other day, Christy and I did the worst thing you can possibly do. You know what we did? We got on Zillow and we looked at houses. And, and before you know it, I did not like my house. Like, I just didn't like my house. I, I looked at all these houses and I just didn't like my house because I, I'm looking at all these houses. And I, What am I doing? I'm walking with the eyes of faith. I'm looking at the beautiful land. Now, is it, is it wrong to look at Zillow? No, you, 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 you're picking up what I'm putting down, right? It took me a little while to sort of come back down and realize God is really good to me. He's been really faithful. There's not a day in my life where I've begged bread. There's not a day in my life where I've not had shelter over my head. There's not a day in my life where I've not had a family that loved me. There's not a day in my life where I've been unemployed, not sure where the next paycheck comes from. That's amazing. That's far more than some of you can say in this room. And there I was, complaining about square footage. How you see Determines what you see, the choices you make, and where it leads. And this is why it's so important, friends, because he was moving toward, Lot was moving towards Sodom, which was the good life, which was the American dream. And Abram, you know what he's doing? He's just wandering all over the place. (laughs) But you know what you see at the end of this? He's wandering around with the eyes of faith. Do you know what you see Abram do and you never see Lot do in the text of Genesis? Build an altar. You know though what's fascinating about Abram's life up to this point is that he's on the move everywhere and the only thing he's ever building is never a house for himself and always an altar for the Lord. In different places throughout the promised land. Why? Because as he wanders in that promised land, the only thing that really needs to be built is the presence and the worship of God. That's what he needs more than anything. He doesn't need a permanent structure. He needs an ever faithful and present God to be with him as he walks. And friends, that's what you and I need. And praise be to God, that's what we have. Father in heaven, we would ask that you would lead us in this way and that you would forgive us for the ways in which we have completely lost sight with the eye of faith and we've started, we started walking with the, um, the eyes of, of life, human eyes, and um, we've lost our way. That Lord, maybe today... Um, in the midst of this place, you're beginning to steer us and turn us back to you. I pray that is the case. And would you be faithful to your promise as we prayed at the beginning? And come, as you did with Abram so often, and took him from where it is his flesh wanted to take him and remind him of who it is you are and what you've done and restore him to the eye of faith. Do it to us right now. And accomplish your good and perfect purposes with each and every soul in this room. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.